This is a Gulf Stories moment, made possible by the University of West Florida Innovation Institute. Well, hi again, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another Gulf Stories moment. My guest today is Scott Satterwhite, a University of West Florida instructor from the English department. And today we're talking about the underground press in Northwest Florida. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So right off the bat, let's let's talk about what we mean by underground press. All right. So the underground press, uh, in its modern sense, really came out of the 1960s counterculture. Uh, it was a reaction to the mainstream culture and how a lot of the mainstream was looking at mm. the rising counterculture that was coming out from the uh, largely from the Vietnam War, not specifically that, but you could think of beat culture in the 50s, beatniks and Allen Ginsberg and that group, but then moving into the uh, also connected with the civil rights movements. But then besides that, uh, moving into reaction to the Vietnam War, especially within the student movements. Okay, so that's going back, as you said, to the mm-hmm. 60s when it got the, the modern use there. What about today? Is it is it still – the reason I ask is you think about the information age we live in, we all get everything out there all the time, so it, it feels less necessary or maybe it's more necessary than ever. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, the problem with the internet right now is just that the, there's so much information out there that it's really hard to – uh, to do that. Yeah. And also, too, it's hard to be to be in the underground. It's hard to consider too many things in the underground, which is interesting because if you think of the press, uh, print medium, that print in a lot of ways is a lot more underground just by being overground, That uh, just because of the way that people are reading news and oh, the way that people are reading, uh, reading yeah, lots of information. So you're saying that because the, the the print version has become used so much less, it's become almost underground. Well, in a lot of ways, yeah. And wow. where I'd say the line into the modern era right now would be in zine culture. The zines came out of the punk movement in the 1970s, 1980s, and took off really big in the 1990s, especially here in Pensacola. Uh, in fact, we were called the zine churning city by the sea by uh, this one magazine called Maximum Rock and Roll. But it kind of went away as the internet rose, but then after a while it started to pick back up. And one of the reasons it started to pick back up is because there's a lot of people, digital natives, who felt that mm. uh, felt a loss and felt a, um, yeah, a need to connect with the real world. So when this all started, you know, at least in the, in the modern age, uh, how many existed? I mean, how, how widespread was this across the country? In the mid-1960s, there was estimated to be five uh, newspapers. Oh, so Only five okay. uh, in, in the mid-1960s. By the end of the decade, that grew to around 1,000. And Pensacola had one, too, and has a newspaper called The Fish Cheer that came out in 1970. Did they the one you said so Pensacola had one? Did it focus primarily on on local news, or just because it was here, that didn't necessarily mean that the content was local? Uh, it had uh, definitely had a very local element to it. It was written by some UWF students, Pensacola Junior College at the time uh, students as well, some high school students. Mm. Also, a lot of people from the NAS uh, wrote for it too. Some uh, some people who were uh, sailors who were stationed on the USS Lexington, their station uh, stationed on the base itself. They wrote for these underground papers too. Lots and lots of articles. Uh, from people with Vietnam veterans against the war, concerned officers movement. So it's pretty political. And they a lot of them focused on things that were happening here in Pensacola that dealt either with the military or dealt with the environment, uh, but many, many different topics. But they also covered everything that was going on around the mm. world to everything from the Vietnam War to the Attica uh, prison uprisings to many, many things like that. How many people were reading them? Uh, the local ones specifically. Well, it's hard to tell how many people are reading them, but the print run was around 10,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of uh, interesting stories about people getting in trouble, getting suspended from school for distributing the mm. newspapers. A lot of the high schools around here had a problem with them. How frequently were they printed? Uh, they were printed 
about every month. Uh, oh, this okay. paper here lasted for about a year, uh, so it wasn't super long. And that's generally was the time span for most of the smaller papers. The last thing I'll ask you is when we think about the underground press, what's its legacy? Well, the legacy I'd say right now is in zines. Uh, I'd say the legacy is directly in zines. But then I'd also say that the legacy is in a lot of the uh, the muckraking journalists that are mm-hmm. out there that put works out in uh, lots and lots of different publications, from independent publications to uh, some of the ones that are just outside of the mainstream. Been talking to Scott Satterwhite, UWF instructor from the English department. This time around, we talked about the underground press in Northwest Florida. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the conversation. You bet. For more Golf Stories moments, visit wuwf.org slash podcast or go to the podcast page of npr.org.